Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. So Nathan Todd was born with cerebral palsy and has turned his adversity into his advantage. He learned that we often wear labels that create a feeling of loneliness. And he wants everyone to realize that no label defines you and no label equals no limit. Nathan, I'm sure we're going to have an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, Emily, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation because the more people hear about it, the more awareness there is, the more we can start to normalize talking about things like disability and adversity, and the more people can peel away the limitations that they have. Agreed. So let's start at the very beginning of your life. Right away, you faced tremendous challenges. Yeah. So I was born eight weeks premature and I was born four pounds, 10 ounces. Wow. It's pretty interesting. So for the audience that's listening all over this bedroom, I have these letters that my mom wrote from the time that I was born up until she says 18, but we've only found till about five. But it's interesting because there's one that talks about her seeing me for the first time. And it Uh says, Oh, he looks so pitiful. And he had tubes coming from every which way. And so that's why I'm so passionate about helping people peel back labels and all the things that they've been told that they can't do because at one point I had a 50-50 shot of living and I wasn't diagnosed until I was two years old. Yeah, we're going to get to that because your mom is a rock star. I so admire all the things that she's done to really advocate for you. But first, cerebral palsy affects people differently. So how are you impacted? So I have spastic diplegia, cerebral palsy. And what that means is my lower limbs are more affected than my upper body. But I have issues with fine motor skills. So things like tying shoes, buttons, anything that requires fine motor skills, pretty sucky at and it impairs my vision, but really it's the stamina of doing anything that requires standing or physical activity for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. So going back to your mom, even though she's not one for the spotlight, she was always out front advocating for you. And prior to your diagnosis, which you said was at two years of age, she kept telling the doctors, something's wrong, something's not right. And she didn't stop saying it until someone listened. Can you talk about those first two years? Lucky for me, I don't don't remember too much of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But I mean, I can only imagine the idea of knowing that developmentally something was wrong. And obviously 
there was a pretty good shot that somebody should have known that from the very beginning, but it took her fighting those whole two years to even have something to label what was going on with me and to actually give some hope. Even though I talk about peeling back labels, I do understand that labels can provide a sense of hope because when you don't know what's going on and then you get something that says, oh, here's what we think it is. I mean, that's got to be a huge sense of relief because then you can start to say, oh, here are normal things that are going to happen. So it's not outside of the realm of what should be showing up right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure for your mom and for other moms out there, parents out there that are saying the same thing, something's not right. This isn't what we're expecting to see. I need to be listened to. When you get that kind of label, it's validating. You know, I'm not crazy. I have that maternal instinct. I know something is going on with my child. And to have someone finally listen... And then to have them say, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's just a a tremendous moment, not only for progress, like you said, so that you can finally move forward with a diagnosis, but just that sense of validation, I'm sure, for your mom. And not only did she persist with the doctors, but she actually got the insurance rules changed for the state of South Carolina. How did that happen? (laughs) So... That was going into year three of life for me. And so when you have spastic cerebral palsy, all your muscles are really tight. So my legs were pretty much crossed from the tension. And so what that required was a surgery called selective dorsal rhizotomy, which is they go into your back and they cut parts of your nerve endings on your spinal cord so that in hope it releases the signal to the muscles that are so tight. But in order to make that happen, my mom had to fight to get it approved as a covered surgery because all they were doing was fundraisers, lots of fundraisers with their friends and family. But I mean, she was able to get it passed and get it covered. And the great thing about that was it wasn't just for me. It was for kids who came after me. So that took a big relief, I'm sure off of parents that came after me with their children. That's incredible. I want to meet her. I think she's an amazing trailblazer and obviously would go to the ends of the earth for you. So even with these physical limitations, elementary school was mostly positive for you, right? Yeah, it was. The beautiful thing about elementary school is you are with a group of kids till the very end for the Mm -hmm. most part, unless you move away and they got to know me for me. And there was no judgment based on what they saw as a difference. They just saw me as Nathan. And Mm -hmm. it's not until we get to middle school when (laughs) that starts to change because we 
we learn about judgment. We learn about wanting to be popular and all those great things that come in everybody's life. So elementary school, it was great. I had lots of friendships that were super positive. But I would say even in elementary school, I don't think we talked about this before. So in first grade, there was a time we were learning handwriting. And so we had those big sheets of paper with the three lines and we all learned how to handwrite. Well, my paper was filled with red X's Mm. all over the place. From your teacher, right? Mm -hmm. And that actually led to me being suicidal if I would have known what suicide was. That's what the doctor told my mom. He's like, if he understood the concept, this is what would happen. And it was that whole piece of judgment of I'm doing my best and my best is horrible. Because to be clear, you have difficulty with handwriting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny when you have a disability, I think we become masters of overcompensation because Mm -hmm. if you look at my handwriting compared to my brother's around the same period of time, my handwriting is way, way better. And it's just because of that experience of being told that I wasn't good enough I took it as a challenge to be like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong. But again, that's another example of my mom stepping in to advocate when I wasn't able to advocate for myself. And she made sure that she limited the number of X's that showed up on the paper. Yeah. Wow. And going back to your passion for labels, There's a lot of times, I'm sure I'm guilty of this too, that we do things like mark something incorrect or say a word and just don't realize the true power and impact. I mean, to make you feel suicidal. And I'm sure that teacher had all the best intentions, Mm -hmm. but you were very fragile. You were trying your best. And to feel like that's not good enough, it does. It breaks you to your core. And clearly that was traumatic for you because it's still something that you think about to this day. Yeah. And sixth grade was also really tough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Things changed for you and it made you even disenroll from public school. So what was it about sixth grade that was so traumatic? So just told the audience that I had a whole group of friends that Mm -hmm. they knew me for me. In sixth grade, my family moved, thought it was going to be awesome because we were moving to the beach. Didn't really understand all the things that came along with moving. You're just like, oh yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. And so I left my entire group of social network behind and started a new journey. And as part of that journey, trying to figure out middle school first, then mm-hmm. try hard enough out. for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trying to figure out like now I had to 
make friends all over again. And then dealing with an administration that didn't really understand how to really empathize with students with disabilities, it made it really, really difficult. I would say I was bullied by the administration by things that they would tell me to do in order to what they thought make an inclusive experience. But that led to me being like, I can't do this anymore. Like I remember crying, sitting, waiting for my mom one day, just crying. But I remember one of my good friends, sister, who was, I don't know, two years older than us, I think. She came up and she talked to me. And that was probably one of the few bright spots I had during that part of my school career was somebody actually saw me for me and actually was just trying to figure out how to be there and hear what was going on. She wasn't trying to fix anything. She was just there to be there. That's really powerful. So don't try to fix, just be there. Yeah. yeah. And she wasn't perfect at it, but that was okay for you. Just the fact that she was trying meant a lot in that moment and was a bright spot. I'm curious, what do you wish the administration at the school had done differently? I think it's exactly what that girl did. There was a lot of, we know what's best for you. So you're going to do it this way. We aren't willing to try it this other way. Just kind of suck it up kind of mentality. And I know that middle school is rough for all of us, but I would say learning to navigate that with the disability adds extra layers Mm -hmm. to what that's like. Because usually, especially when you're mainstreamed, you might be the only student with a disability that's in your class, that's in any of your classes. And so you're navigating something that you have nobody else to kind of bounce experiences off of because mainstream and special ed are completely different and the experiences are completely different. So I would just say, actually listen to what's going on with the student from the student's perspective and actually treat the experience as a valid experience. What do you advise parents who are making these decisions about whether to put their child in mainstream education, as you describe it, or maybe a special school or special program? What advice do you give to them? I would always choose mainstream over specialized school. And here's why. At some point, your kid's going to be out in the real world. As much as I did not like the experience, that was a real world experience that I went through. And it doesn't go away when you're an adult. So if you plan on sending them to a disability specific school 
I would think very hard about what does time after school look like for them? What does life after their school experience look like? Because if they're going out in the real world, you might want to get them some experience in the real world so that maybe one day those kids who saw them in school remember them and treat them like the person that they are and not that afterthought that's Mm -hmm. been stuck on the couch forever. Speaking of being out in the real world, let's fast forward to your now adult life. And you say that the thing that is often invisible with people with disabilities is the discrimination when it comes to employment. What do you mean by that? (laughs) There's an invisible thought that if somebody with a disability comes in for employment, I think the first thing that employers think is, oh, this is going to cost me a lot of money. Some insurance, medical insurance and... Insurance, if you need adaptive equipment Mm. to do the job. And so that puts a huge barrier in front of the person trying to apply for the job. And it's not always the case that it's going to be super expensive. All I needed was speech to text, really. Mm -hmm. And you don't even have to pay. (laughs) for special equipment anymore to make some of the stuff happen. But there's an idea that that is just going to cost companies way too much money to make it worth their while. And there's a... I want to use the word fear because I think that's what it is. There's a fear of not understanding Mm -hmm. the person their disability, like there's a huge fear just around talking about disability or saying the word, like saying the word disability is almost like a dirty word. That's why Mm -hmm. we choose to replace it with all the things that are like, take the dis out of disability and people that say handicapable, they just think disability is a dirty word. So people just look at you, they don't know what to do. And so... (laughs) They just say, on to the next one. What do you think of the word disability? I think that we must say the word, that we must normalize using the word disability and replacing that negative label that comes along with the word. Like, it doesn't mean that it's something bad. That's just what the medical model has taught us to believe that we aren't a person, we're an illness Mm. and we need to be fixed. Mm. And that's not the case. To me, that disability represents strength. It represents being a good problem solver. (laughs) It represents knowing at one point I was four pounds, 10 ounces, and I'm still here today. And I'm a big part of the reason why I'm still here today. And everybody who's got a disability, kid, adult, like you are a hundred percent in every part of your story. So you are a strong person. You're not weak. You're not 
what most people would consider vulnerable. I know vulnerable population, there are things that we are vulnerable for with our specific disabilities, but that doesn't mean that you're a vulnerable person or you're a victim. You're a very capable person. That is beautiful and such a good segue into what I want to talk about next, which is labels. I love that you focus on labels. You encourage us to think very critically about the words that we use, the power that those labels hold. Mothers of Misfits, this podcast was born out of my mission to reclaim the label misfit. Why do labels limit our possibilities and lead to loneliness, as you say? What do those two things have in common? Yeah. So I kind of want to flip this a little bit and ask you to think of a time like maybe the first time that you felt labeled and what that label was. Well, I know I was bullied pretty harshly in middle school. And I don't remember the specific labels, but yeah, it made me feel broken, bad, a non-fit in, you know, and I wanted to fit in because in middle school, we're all trying so hard to do just that. Yeah, I, I distinctly remember one individual who just being around that person made me feel very, very small. And so just in what you just said, Think about where all of that power lies. You're living up to somebody else's expectation of who you believe that you were at that time. And I think that that's what happens to each and every one of us. When we're labeled, our potential becomes somebody else's limitation of us. Oh, whoa. Can you say that again? That is really powerful. Yeah, when we accept a label that someone else has put on us, that means that our potential has become their limitation of what they believe we're capable of. How do we as parents keep our kids from accepting the labels and therefore limited potential that others put on them? So... First thing I would say is it comes down to having regular conversations. Mm. <laughs> like how often do we actually have those conversations? And as kids, like you ask, how'd school go? Oh, it's fine. Blah, 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 blah. We're very vague mm. in, in what we share. But I think one of the most powerful things is to sit down, have scheduled time to talk about what's going on and talk about their experience of themselves. Like one of the most powerful things that I've seen happen is I had parents go to the store, go to like Walgreens, pick up a pack of networking name labels. Mm -hmm. And for a week to two weeks, actually set aside a time where you and your kid take out a label and you actually have them fill out. The first thing that comes up, that's what I would say first. But what I've seen happen is parents and kids talk about how they feel. Mm. And you see things like 
confused, frustrated, excited, happy, sad, and things show up multiple times. So as a parent, you can use that to say, oh man, my kids felt really frustrated this week. Let's dig into that a little bit more. What's causing that frustration? And then you can kind of see what's going on in their life at a level that if you just ask the question of how are things at school and they're not going to tell you. Yeah, I like that as a means of digging deeper. And it's one word and literally using physical labels. I like that because a lot of times kids have a hard time expressing themselves when you say, you know, how is it? What's bothering you? But if you can say, write your feelings down in one word or two words, that is a conversation starter. And I think is a good place to start with kids who might not be inclined to open up otherwise. What do you think about the power of positive labels? Can we combat negative labels with positive ones as parents? I think you can. I think the line that you've got to figure out is how does my child view that label? Because let's use disability, for example. Like I've I've been able to transform that into a positive label, but just because if you as a parent want your kid to do that, that doesn't mean that's what they're going to see as much as you want that to be the case. So you just have to have the conversation of what does this mean to you? Like when you see mm-hmm. the label and the identity, what does that mean to you? And find ones that that empower them, whatever it is, because look, you just want to start to build that confidence and that self-esteem. So you don't have to understand the label as long as they feel good about it and they feel like it represents them. I think that's what you should aim for. You bring up a good point because words, labels mean different things to different people. Mm -hmm. And we have to be careful not to assume that the meaning that we see in a word as a parent is the same thing that that child views in that word, that label. This is powerful. And our words have so, so much weight to them. And it's a great lesson for our kids to learn the power of their words, Mm -hmm. especially if they're on the receiving end of ones that are hurtful they can see how powerful they can be in turn for the good, you know, and the words that they use and, and then listening, the power of, of listening, like you've talked about. So Nathan, if folks want to learn more about your story, get in touch with you, maybe work on labels that they've been dealing with, how can they do that? Yeah, you can connect with me over on Facebook. It's at The Loneliness Coach or over on Instagram, The Real Nathan Todd. And if you want to send me an email directly, it's eradicatingloneliness at gmail.com. And you can learn pretty much anything over there. It's interesting. I want to go back for one second about the exercise with the labels. Yeah. And I would encourage any parent to actually do the exercise with their kids, not just making an exercise about your kids. Mm. Do it with them. Because guess what? You might be an adult, but the only thing that we do 
as we grow up. The little kid that we were is still inside of us. All we do is get taller and have made up responsibilities that is a social contract with how the world is designed right now. And as parents, we need to lead by example. And if we're asking our kids to be vulnerable and honest, we need to do the same. And we might discover things like you said about ourselves that we haven't taken the time to deal with. So it can be a a way to bond and really show our kids what vulnerability looks like, what growth looks like. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're doing powerful work for people. You too are leading by example. I admire you and everything that you're doing. And now you're actually speaking to worldwide audiences and taking your message to truly empower people to be their best selves. So thanks again, Nathan. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks so much. And just remember people... Be patient, be diligent, and whatever you do, never, never quit. Mm, Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.